Wedge Issues is brought to you by WISPolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's WISPolitics.com. This time, two years ago, Republicans had control of both chambers of the legislature and the governor's office in Wisconsin. And they were bickering with each other as they struggled to reach an agreement on a state budget, which ended up being delayed months after the new fiscal year started in July and was not signed into law until the fall. We've had an election since then, and things have changed a little bit. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. Republicans still control both chambers of the legislature, but there is a Democrat in the governor's office now. And like magic, the two chambers of the legislature are working together a lot more smoothly than they did in the last budget process. The Assembly and Senate both passed the legislature's version of the budget this week, and now it's up to Governor Tony Evers to decide whether he wants to approve it, reject it in full, or exercise his partial veto authority to make a few changes. Joining me to break down how we got here, what's in the legislature's budget, and what Tony Evers might do with it, is Cap Times political reporter Brianna Riley. So, Brianna, you have been on Wedge Issues before, but this is your first time on Wedge Issues as a Cap Times reporter. Welcome back to the show, and welcome belatedly to the Cap Times. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. How long have you been reporting for us now? Has it's it been, been a month yet? It's been about six weeks, actually. Wow. It's Oh, my God. I know. I, wow. I looked at my calendar today and had a double take, but... <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, well, you started right in the final crazy weeks of the state budget process. So it has flown by. Time flies when you're having fun. Is it fun? Well, when you're sitting in joint finance and can't see the outside world, time definitely flies. That's for sure. Yeah, that's I'm not the first person to say this, but like they close the shades. If people don't know this, when you're sitting in the joint finance committee hearing room, they close the shades for some reason. And I think it's to just deprive you of any sense of whether it's sunny, raining, the middle of the night. You have no sense <laughs> of any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I miss it a little bit, but... Mm, you miss the cons- the casino feel. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so we're, we're talking on Thursday, and knowing that this uh, will come out on Friday, everything comes with the caveat that eh, sometimes things change, but probably we're in a, in a holding period right now. Both chambers of the legislature have passed their version of the budget for the next two years, and Governor Evers has called for said budget, and now we're just waiting for them to deliver. Uh, What do you think he's going to do with it? (laughs) That that is a huge question. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, just put you right on the spot. Yeah, I mean, Um, it's it's been amazing, really, to see this budget cycle, the consideration that Republican leaders have had to have when looking at how to make this partial veto proof. I mean, Wisconsin governors have the most powerful partial veto authority in the entire nation. And that really came into play as Republicans were crafting the budget. So it's really remarkable to see 
see how slimmed down this document is compared to past ones. And even the amendment that was taken up on, on the assembly floor and approved in the Senate this week, that still tried to target his authority. So, I mean, he's he can still obviously issue partial vetoes and strike strike words and, and, and numbers and things like that. But um, with the with the consideration and the mentality that Republicans had going into this is it might be a little bit more limited than what Governor Walker had to work with, for example. Yeah. And so you did a little explainer refresher for people on how the partial veto works in Wisconsin. And it's even not as powerful as it once was here. Um, so explain to people what it used to be, um, the Van Away veto, how that changed, and now why why are Republican legislators able to craft a document to guard against that that veto pen? Like, how, how do they make that work? Yeah, that's the wild part. I mean, in the past three decades alone, Wisconsin governors already have a very expansive power in this arena, right? But that power has kind of been whittled away at by voters who've approved constitutional amendments to, to, to limit it a little bit. In the 90s and then most recently in the last decade, actually, and this kind of gets at the Vanna White one, um, the governor, Jim Doyle, when he was in office, a Democrat, he had the ability to basically nix whole pages out of <laughs> out of appropriations bills, which a power that does not, that no longer exists. And basically, right now, Wisconsin governors have the ability to, for example, um, strike words from sentences, but they cannot strike letters out of words. So, so one, you can't create a new word. <laughs> exactly. So so one way to target that um, that we saw in play in the in the Republican amendment to the budget this week was a provision that would um, change all of the, the phrases shall not and may not to cannot. One word, cannot. Oh, that's crafty. Mm-hmm. It certainly is. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting to see see all of this play out in real so time. So he can't. So he so he would have been able to strike out the not and say shall, but if it's cannot, one word, he it's can't alter stay. legislative intent. Then, and when it comes to appropriations spending, he can't add money. He can only subtract, and Republicans are approving less money overall than what he proposed. Although I was a little surprised when I saw the final figure, it's actually not that far off in total spending from what the governor proposed. It's a difference of what it's 83 billion versus 81 billion. Is that exactly. Right? Around $2 billion in spending total is the difference between the two budget proposals. Okay. So we've talked a lot on here about what the governor proposed and what he was asking for, which included Medicaid expansion, uh, included a lot of funding the UW tuition freeze, included uh, $1.4 billion just in new K-12 spending, uh, a gas tax increase, some other changes to taxes. What are we looking at in the Republican budget and how much of what Tony Evers asked for is in there? I think Republicans are making the argument that, yes, while the Medicaid expansion is not in there, while Governor Evers' budget also originally had a one around $1 billion in tax increases that are also not in there, um, they're still... They still, you know, approved a lot of the spending requests that Evers had in there, um, and you can really see that play out in the the healthcare language in the budget. But notably, uh, as you were saying, I mean, 
there is no eight cent per gallon gas tax increase. Instead, there's increases to vehicle registration fees and title fees, um, which Democrats are upset about because they argue that it hits in-state residents rather than a gas tax increase, which would be more of a, a user fee kind of thing that would hit people that are coming in from Illinois or other, you know, Michigan, sure. other, Minnesota. Like Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, who was just here and uh, apparently got a ticket for speeding on the lake. He could have been paying more of a gas tax to be here. <laughs> Instead, he's paying a speeding ticket. So I guess but, it evens out. <laughs> yeah, I guess it works out. We got anyway. him anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, that that's huge. Obviously, education has been a huge focus this budget. Evers, being a former state superintendent, um, came in with a $1.4 billion increase request for, for K-12, including $600 million more for special education funding, um, which Republicans have called unsustainable. So instead, their proposal is around a $100 million increase in special ed funding, which would increase the reimbursement rate, so the rate by which the, the state pays schools for special education costs, to 30% in the second year of the biennium. And that would be the first increase in over the over a decade, so it's it's very notable in that sense. Uh, the other thing then is when you're looking at the UW system, um, which is something that you mentioned as well. Evers had sought to basically backfill the ongoing tuition freeze, which you know Republicans removed that money from the budget, um, but they're still they still have a 58 million dollar UW system uh, allocation in there. Um, the other thing I want to mention is the, the capital budget, yeah, which yes. a lot of people have pointed to because um, Evers had requested $2.5 billion, right? And the Republican one really isn't that far off, $1.9 sure. billion, a billion dollars of which is going to UW System. So you saw President Cross, for example, uh, UW System President Cross this week, really highlighting that the, that increase for state building projects on UW campuses across the system. So he's, he's while he... Um, said the, the initial UW system budget was a, a kick in the shins. Um, he's, he's, yeah. His shins maybe have recovered <laughs> after that. But. Yeah. yeah, and so that's building projects um, for or, or, or whether it's fixing crumbling buildings or building new things, expanding things for state-owned buildings, and most notably, like you mentioned, the UW system. That was an example really early on, I think, the capital budget of how painful this process could end up being because you saw uh, a lot of those items being voted down by Republican legislators who actually supported the projects in theory and were eventually going to support them, but um, not in this committee setting where they were trying to make a point and saying, you know, we're not going to we're not going to play ball. Yeah, exactly. The building commission vote was very, very dramatic. So <laughs> four, four ties and all of those, um, all of those projects was pretty yeah. remarkable. Pretty remarkable. And and it's it's been drama from the start a little bit. So mm-hmm. you know, Governor Evers introduces the budget, and Republicans have a press conference afterward. And I think Senator Alberta Darling's phrase was "Hold on to your hats" or something like that about just the the spending. Um, then we saw the sort of standoff in the building commission. How did things play out in a sort of drama relationship aspect in joint finance committee hearings, in the floor sessions? Um, Did people start getting along better or was it a fight all the way through? 
I think um, from the perspective of leadership, I mean, we've heard Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald kind of lament um, the uh, the strained nature of their relationship with Governor Evers. And from their perspective, it's like they're, they're trying to meet with him. They're trying to offer olive branches and, um, you know, really uh, get on the same page as the governor in, in some respects. But as, as they tell it, um, they've just kind of been met with... Um, uh, not much, <laughs> not much, <laughs> not much in the way of um, um, assistance or interest. But um, it, of course, you know, Governor Evers has kind of the opposite perception as well. Sure. But during this entire process, too, even outside of the budget, we saw hang-ups like, for example, Representative Jagler and Senator Fitzgerald's bill that That's would right. remove the R word from basically state statute, essentially. And and what Governor Evers did is you know, issue an executive order to do exactly the same thing without really giving them a heads up about it. So there were some tensions with that, too, that certainly played into the the whole budget mm-hmm. dynamics. It's and been uncomfortable to watch. Um, and, and, of course, Democrats would point back to the lame duck session, the extraordinary session uh, at the end of last year and say it all started here. And how could we get anywhere from, from here? Um, then you had the sort of week or two of uh, the Evers team accusing Republican leaders of not wanting to meet with women and Republican leaders saying, no, it's that they won't, you know, meet with us. And it's, it's, it's been, you know, when you hear about the dysfunction of government, you kind of hope that you won't actually witness it at such a firsthand level, but it's been a little awkward in the Capitol these days. On the flip side of that, it's been really interesting to watch the way that the Assembly and the Senate Republicans have worked together, because if you go back to the last budget under Governor Scott Walker, when Republicans were in control of everything, they were not getting along at all. Um, and they were meeting weekly. The three of them would meet or the you know two or a handful would meet. Um, but not much was happening. No one was budging and negotiations kept falling apart, mostly over transportation funding. You saw them put all of that away and work together. I remember seeing the the quote uh, after the budget passed joint finance, and it was sort of like the fact that we're standing here getting along together <laughs> means that things are going pretty well. What, did, they, did they just make it a priority to say, you know, we've got this Democratic administration, we need to stand together as one unit here rather than be pitted against each other? Was there, was there a, a strategy here, do you think? I'm glad you're referencing that last budget because... <laughs> If you think back two years, it wasn't until the end of September that Governor Walker was actually able to sign it because that's when it got to his desk. You right. know? So the legislature didn't pass it until mid-September. And at that time, schools, uh, school administrators were very worried because they were trying to set their budgets for the academic year. Um, and, you know, they, they ended up getting it done in in early fall. But, yeah, I think that really kind of sets the <laughs> is the backdrop for this budget too, and there's a lot of you know speculation going into it about how well, you know, um, the assembly and senate would be able to work together when you're looking at you know I guess you could call it a common enemy you know mm-hmm. in Governor Evers, but the language might be a little bit strong. But if that would bring them together, and it looks like they've they're 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 they did, kind of yeah. on the same page. Yeah. yeah. So during the last budget, things really even were tense and falling apart at the last minute uh, when when the budget went to the Senate and there were a few members of the Senate who are often holdouts on spending bills on budget bills um, because they think that government spending needs to be cut and they're they're usually not comfortable with the level of spending whatever it may be and 
at one point, Speaker Voss even referred to them as terrorists and saying they were holding the budget hostage, which I think he apologized for. Eventually, they they mended the fences. Everything was fine. But a lot of those same senators were kind of still in question in terms of are they going to be able to get this through in the end with the votes? They knew that they had two no's and couldn't lose another one. What happened? Yeah, that, that's a great question, because when you're looking at the Senate, the dynamic is very, very different than the, than the Assembly. But with a 1914 Republican majority in that chamber, um, Senator Fitzgerald knew from the beginning he could only lose two Republican senators. And um, pretty early on, we saw some concerns being voiced by um, Senator Steve Noss from the Whitewater area and Dave Craig from the Big Bend area. And they both, you know, referenced the high spending levels in the budget um, and eventually came out uh, independently as being no against the document. So Senator Fitzgerald couldn't lose anyone, you know, anyone else because the assumption was, and rightly so, that no Democrats would would support it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was really up until Wednesday morning, the Senate passed it on Wednesday afternoon, but Wednesday morning, it was still unclear whether Senator Chris Kapinga from Delafield would support it or not. And he ended up doing so, which allowed the Senate to pass it through the chamber. And that was its own odd story. There was an emotional press conference. Uh, It was reported the day before that uh, Senator Kapinga and his daughter, I think, have sort of a hobby business. They salvage Tesla parts and they they strip Teslas. They rebuild them. They sell the parts. They sell the the cars, whatever. Uh, And that's not his primary business, but this is something that he's started recently. And a provision was put into the budget on the assembly side, something that he had says he he had asked for that allows Tesla to sell directly to consumers. Um, there were questions raised about, does this directly benefit him financially in any way? Uh, he called a press conference to both announce that he would be voting yes and also talk about his rationale there, um, even tearing up a little bit at one moment. Tell me a little bit more about that press conference. I was not there. Yeah. So um, it was a pretty short affair, about 10 minutes in total. But yeah, I mean, he covered a lot of ground. He spent a lot of a lot of the time addressing that Tesla provision. And, you know, he said that alone wouldn't ensure that he would vote for the budget. But he still, you know, he, he was honest and said that that was something that when he had talked to leadership about, you know, what other things he'd like to see in the document, that was something that came up. Um, but yeah, he kind of, he really sort of targeted the the Journal Sentinel, which kind of initially reported the story on Tuesday, um, and and basically alleged that the reporting was misrepresentative of the business and um, his his role really in in, in this entire dynamic. Um, but yeah, so it, what he said was he in no way profits from these activities. Like he buys Teslas, right, and 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 kind of strips them down and um, sells the parts that he doesn't end up using. But he said the the sales from that in no way offset the labor and the cost hmm. up front of actually purchasing the other parts that he needs or the vehicles themselves. Interesting. So, yeah, so he was trying to make that argument. Still, people are pointing to the website that he says he and his daughter made together as kind of a, a way for her to learn more about, you know, making websites 
sites and having an activity together and stuff like that. Um, still, there's language on it that says, you know, we sell Tesla parts and, and, and salvaged vehicles. So Sure. So just another element of unusual dealings <laughs> at the, in the budget process because uh, it wasn't interesting enough already. Mm-hmm. So now we wait for Governor Evers to decide what he's going to do with it. He can fully reject it, veto it. He can partially veto it, although his partial veto options, as you said, are not many at this point. Or he could approve the whole thing, which seems unlikely, but who knows. What happens if he vetoes it or if he issues partial vetoes? Yeah, so if he vetoes it in its entirety, um, Assembly Speaker up in Voss has said the legislature wouldn't come back until October to, to take a look at that. Um, I, I think the argument from his perspective is he wants time to kind of sell it to the people, you know, sell the, the Republican composed plan, um, highlight the, the spending in there, the $300 million middle income tax cut and other aspects, um, you know, more aid for personal care workers, child welfare service funding boosts and stuff like that. Um, so in the meantime, you know, if he were to veto it in full, um, it'd just kind of be a waiting game until this fall when the legislature would take a look at it again. Sure. So one thing, I mean, we've we've gone over a lot of the components of, of the things where there are discrepancies between the two budgets, but I think sort of the, the linchpin of the Evers budget in many ways was that Medicaid expansion um, because they argued not only, you know, are you talking about funds coming in um, to do that, but they... They argued that, you know, with the the money that you're getting in that, you can redirect other funding and you're really infusing a, a lot of money in to fund a lot of the things that they were proposing throughout the budget. Now, Governor Evers has said many times that he's not going to give up on that Medicaid expansion. He said he's going to take it to the people throughout the state. This is something that he's not backing down on. Has he ever said he won't approve a budget without the Medicaid expansion? That's a great question. And the answer is he hasn't been very definitive about that. Um, he, he clearly very, very much supports accepting the federal Medicaid expansion dollars. But um, he hasn't, although reporters have repeatedly asked him if this is, you know, kind of make or break for him, he hasn't said. What he has been consistently saying is that he wants to review the budget in full, um, take everything into account before making a decision about how he'll act on it. Okay. So we are sitting here right now. It's June 27th. When people start listening to this, it will be the 28th of June. The fiscal year ends at the end of June. A new one begins on July 1st. And we won't have a budget. So what happens? Well, um, Wisconsin, there's no need to panic. Wisconsin will continue spending at current levels as appropriated under the current 2017-19 budget. Um, So that, that just continues until a new budget is approved. And that, I think, is a selling point for Republicans as they say, we're not going to come back and and take this up if it's vetoed because they get to continue to operate under the spending levels that were set in the last budget that they all approved and voted on. Okay, so you're not a candidate or an elected official in any way, but you are making your Cap Times debut on Wedge Issues, so I think it is important to not put you through a full lightning round, but ask you two very important questions what is your favorite Wisconsin beer? I love New Glarus's Two Women. Ooh, that's so good. good. I don't think anyone's ever answered with that one. That is a quality beer. That's right. Favorite Wisconsin cheese? 
That's a little harder. Yeah. I just, I, I love all cheeses. Um, I grew up in Chilton, Wisconsin, the northeastern part of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a cheese distributor in town. And I just would eat so, <laughs> so much cheese. Um, <laughs> I, I Honestly, I just love string cheese of, yeah, of any yeah. variety, truly. Um, do you pull it or do you bite into it? I pull it. Okay, good. It's the right way to do it. And <laughs> I feel good about you being our political reporter in this role, knowing that you eat your string cheese properly. That is the litmus test for Not political reporting in Wisconsin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for making some time after your long uh, weeks, months of budget coverage. I hope you have some rest planned sometime in these next few days, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I'm definitely taking a trip in August at okay. some point. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back just about every Friday with new episodes, but not next week because it's the day after the 4th of July, and I'm sure you'll all be too full of brats and hot dogs and tired from the fireworks to listen. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Opie, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-P-I-E, or you can email me at J-O-P-O-I-E-N at madison.com. While you're waiting for the next episode of Wedge Issues, you can also check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table and The Mad Splainers. Happy Independence Day in advance to all of you. We'll see you next time. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by WISPolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to wispolitics.com membership to find out more.